the life of King David, um, one of the great characters in the Old Testament. If I were to ask you uh, something you know about David, what would you say from your readings? What would you say? If someone said, King David, what do you know about him? Shepherd boy. Musician. Poet. Oh, you're on a roll. Go on. A man after God's heart. A murderer. Nice one, Tim. I always rely on Tim. To... Okay. Anything else? One of the most famous stories, perhaps, that you ever learned at Sunday school, if you ever went to Sunday school. He's, yeah, he's, he's slew Goliath. Is it slew? Slew? An adulterer. Thanks, Ron, as well. Yeah, yeah. Do come in, girls. We've saved you some seats on the very front row next to Hermie to avoid any embarrassment. Lots of things about David, and he's uh, one of the great, great characters of the Bible. Um, he was anointed as a young boy to be king over Israel by the prophet Samuel. And uh, in that part of that uh, scripture reading, it says that God doesn't look at the outward, he looks at the heart. Yes, we, he, we've uh, mentioned he killed Goliath, the Philistine. The Philistines were the main enemies of the people of God at that time, and it was young David who took on Goliath when no one else would. We've heard he's a musician, a worshiper. He wrote the, many of the Psalms. We read one at the beginning. He served King Saul, king before him, as a musician, and uh, he even spared Saul's life twice. Even though God had anointed him king, um, he spared Saul's life. He wouldn't touch God's anointed one. He inspired the loyalty of friends. He had a great friend called Jonathan, who was Saul's son. He had a group of mighty men who would have done anything for him. And he led an army. Uh, began with an army of brigands uh, who became so loyal to him. There must have been something about David. Another thing that you may know about David is he made Jerusalem the capital of Israel, of his kingdom there. And, uh, and one of the most amazing things we know is that Jesus came from David's line. Some have mentioned his faults as well. Yeah, Bathsheba and Uriah, so the adultery and murder of Bathsheba's husband. And also he fell out big time with one of his sons called Absalom who turned against him. And it was one of the most heartbreaking things in David's life. But what I want to focus on tonight is David as a worshipper. And the question of who is our worship for? Who is our worship for? Hermie mentioned um, at the beginning that uh, when God chooses him, he says that he is a man after my own heart. A man after my own heart. So we're going to read just a couple of passages. So the first one is from 2 Samuel 5, if you want to follow it, verses 1 to 5, and then from 2 Samuel 6. This is when king, uh, David becomes king over Israel. So it says in chapter 5, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, 
and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel, and you shall become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. And then from chapter 6. By this time, David has defeated the enemy Philistines. And he's made Jerusalem. He's moved from Hebron to Jerusalem. And he seeks to bring the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. Now, that King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom. And everything he has, because the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets... As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. And when David returned home to bless his household, Michelle, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would do. And David said to Michel, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone else from his house when he appointed me ruler of the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes but by those slave girls you spoke of I will be held in honor and Michelle daughter of Saul had no children to the day of her death let's just pray together father we Count it a real joy and a privilege to gather together in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. We thank you for the privilege of worship. And as we look at the life and one incident in the life of of David, we pray that you will speak even through his life to us about the priority of worship in our lives. 
about who it's for. Help us to understand. And then help us to respond, not only in our sung worship as we gather on Sundays, but in our worship day by day, that we would make that that priority it should be. In Jesus' name, amen. True story reported in the Times and the Telegraph. When Anat's elderly mother arrived back at her house in the suburbs of Tel Aviv, Israel, she could immediately see that her daughter had made a terrible mistake. Her daughter had been cleaning her mother's house all day and expected to be thanked for all her efforts in giving her mother's house a really good spring clean. One of the things she had noticed that her mother had never changed her mattress. So she decided to change the mattress. That old, dirty mattress she dragged outside to the house for the bin men to take away and replaced it with a brand new mattress just as a special surprise. I think some of you have already guessed what's coming up. Between sobs, Annette's mother said that all her life savings had been hidden away in her mattress. Estimated nearly a million dollars she'd been saving up. They even searched the landfill sites of Tel Aviv, but to no avail. Annette, or Annette, who despised her mother's mattress, had lost the treasure of a lifetime. 35 miles away from Tel Aviv, 3,000 years earlier, David comes home to a similar story. Not one about finance, but something even deeper than that. The background just to this passage is David's consolidation of power. He has moved from Hebron, which was the capital before, to the city of David. That's he calls it. And he defeats the Jebusites there, and he makes Jerusalem his capital. And he brings the ark back to Jerusalem. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a gold-covered wooden chest, contained the two tablets of the Ten Commandments given to Moses. And they had kept it, the people of Israel had kept that Ark through thick and thin from the days of Moses, through their wanderings in the wilderness and then their taking of the land, the promised land, and now David seeks to bring it to the capital, his new capital, Jerusalem. The ark was that place where God chose to presence himself among his people at that time, localized in the tabernacle that they built for it. Later, David's son, Solomon, would build a temple in Jerusalem. Down through the years, that ark had been captured by the Philistines. There's a famous story of the Philistines capturing the ark, but as they kept it, misfortune kept befalling them. Famously, they placed it in the temple of their pagan god, Dagon. And when they went in the morning to see 
their statue of their pagan god Dagon was fallen, prostrate before the ark of the Lord. Philistines didn't like the ark much and they got rid of it. David had tried to bring it before to Jerusalem, but he'd failed because one of his servants, Uzzah, had, had actually touched the ark and God's holiness had fallen out on Uzzah and he died. And David despaired of ever bringing the ark to Jerusalem. But here he tries it again. In the reading we had, the ark had been left at the home of Obed-Edom, a Gittite, for three months. And while it was there, Obed-Edom just had the way of a time. Because he just had blessing upon blessing upon blessing. The presence of God just brought blessing to him. It's interesting that when the Philistines had it, it brought judgment. When Obed-Edom had it, it brought blessing. And David saw that and he decided to bring it back home. So he tried again. But this time he tried it with great humility and with sacrifices to God and offerings to God and exuberant heartfelt worship. And he manages to bring the ark back into Jerusalem. And when the day, that joyful day, uh, was coming to an end, and he'd given gifts out to all the people who had come out to worship and celebrate. He gave gifts of bread and dates and raisins to the crowds of worshippers, and then he dismissed them. And then in verse 20, it says, David returned home to bless his household. Now, some people believe that this actually means that he was going home uh, to be with his wife, and it may have produced even an heir for David and Michelle. But as he arrives home, he is greeted by his wife. She's been watching him from a window, watching David fulfill one of his lifetime ambitions to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And she knows it's not been easy. She knows that it has cost the lives of good men before. But finally, the ark is brought home to Jerusalem. Such a momentous event in the life of Israel and in David's life. But as she looked out of the window, she saw David at the front of the procession worshipping. And the Bible says she despised him in her heart. It's quite a thing, isn't it? To hear that. She despised her husband in her heart. Why? What was David doing that caused that response? We're told that the king was wearing a linen ephod. Now, people debate what it actually looked like, whether it was just a loincloth, whether it was like a kilt kind of thing or an apron kind of thing, because an ephod was a priestly garment. She describes him as being half-naked. Leaping and dancing before the Lord. Her words to her husband, King David, was how the king has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would do. 
not, oh, I love Eugene Peterson, but sometimes I think he goes over the top. He describes it like, as Michelle's saying, you're like some burlesque street dancer. She's saying, what do you think you're doing? You are acting in such an unkingly manner. You might have got away with it, that kind of behavior when you were out as an outlaw living in the caves down in the desert area. You could have got away with that now. But you're a king now. Act like it. And she's the daughter of a king and the queen of a king. In fact, normally only women would have danced in that way, in those celebrations. Yet David lays aside his royal robes, takes on these servants' clothes, and begins to dance. I've heard some people saying that David danced naked before the Lord. He didn't, just to set that record straight. He was wearing an ephod. But David did dance, and he celebrates, and he was outrageous in his worship. He laid aside all the trappings of royalty. And David says the key thing, and this is this, the key thing of this message. I was doing it for God. Not for the crowds, not for the people, not for the servants, not for you, but for God. And at the heart of worship, that's what it is, isn't it? We don't worship to impress anybody. We don't worship thinking and wonder what people will think of us. Or we do. David just had his eyes on the Lord. He says, I will celebrate before the Lord. Goes even further in verse 22. I will become more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. A verse that was added by the writers there, verse 23, that Michelle, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. David was a true worshipper. So often even now, we begin our services of worship with a psalm of David because he manages to encapsulate what it means to offer to God all our praise. Not a veneer of respectability, but the depths of our heart, all that we are offered in praise. That's why I love reading the Psalms. That's why you can have them as a daily reading every day of your life and be blessed and fed by them because he just says it how it is. And when things aren't going well, he says it to the Lord as it is. But always he comes back to that theme of worship and praise. Here we have an extravagant picture of true worship. We see different ones throughout the scriptures. You may have your favorite one. Maybe the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with a perfume and broke it. Or who wept over his feet and wiped his feet with her tears. We live in a world that doesn't like that over-the-top kind of stuff. Don't mind a little bit of religion being wheeled out now and again, and as long as it's dignified and proper and in its place. When people get offended by true worship. When people are just wanting to celebrate before the Lord. 
when people humble themselves to give glory to God's name. And our media obviously doesn't do God. Just uh, recently I was watching, I'm a great fan of the world athletics, and I was watching, and do you remember the Botswana and Runner and all the shenanigans surrounding that? I remember him being interviewed, and the first interview he gave, the first thing he said is, I want to give glory to God. He is my God, and I run for him. And then he said, I really felt the support of the crowd and whatever. And then it got edited down. That bit got taken out. And what we heard him say was, it was great to run before the crowd. The crowd really lifted me. Because we don't do God, do we? We don't know where to put that in that context. David has to rebuke Michelle. Why wasn't she in the procession? She was watching from a window. Why wasn't she there? What was going on? And David, he says, well, God has chosen me. Above your father, above any other in the kingdom, God has chosen me, not because I'm perfect, but because God has chosen. And we as followers of Jesus, the most amazing thing that we have the privilege of doing is to worship. It's the one thing that we'll continue doing in heaven. There are lots of things we won't continue doing in heaven, but one of the things we will continue to do in glory of God's presence is to worship him. David humbled himself. How much more have we got reason to worship, reason to express our praise? And maybe we won't bounce up and down like 9,000 teenagers. But we need to challenge ourselves, as I do again and again, about why we're doing this. Are we just going through the motions? Or is our worship really just for him alone. Not worried about anybody else, not thinking about anybody else, but for him. Worship was always a priority for David. That key phrase, it was for the Lord, no one else. I will celebrate before the Lord. Now, we know from David's life that it wasn't always in noisy celebration with lots of instruments and things. There are times when we read of him worshipping in the quietness, in the stillness. But what we see from David's life is worship pouring out of his heart to God. All of him. David, who knew the Lord as his shepherd. He didn't actually know Jesus as we know Jesus. Yet worship just poured out of his heart. How much more for us to be able to worship knowing that Jesus came for us, knowing that he gave his all for us. When we worship, yes, it's an overflow of our daily praise, thankfulness and gratitude, and it is right for us to do it. But let's always remember that it's for him 
It's not about the songs that got chosen. Didn't like that one. Didn't know that one. Came in too early on that one. Thanks to him. But just to revolutionize our whole approach to worship. As a whole church, you know, I think the challenge for us is to not get lost in that familiarity, but to lose ourselves once again in intimacy with God, in worship of him. I know that sometimes we hold back for fear of others. I know what it's like to have judged others as well and say, oh, look at them making an exhibition of themselves, aren't they? And then I find that they're the speakers of that evening and they've been saved gloriously by Jesus and I am put to shame. And to worship when we don't feel like it. And it's those times when there's deep worship, I think. When we worship through the pain, when we pour out that pain to God and say, still, I will praise you. It says that in the Bible, Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matt Redmond, one of uh, worship leaders who writes many of the songs that we sing, he says, true worship always forgets itself. So we're going to worship. I'm going to invite Tim and the band, Josh and Pete, to come and lead us. Let's pray together. And during this time, we're just going to have a, a selection of songs. Feel free. There's no one being forced to dance tonight. But if you want to, if you want to kneel, if you want to just be, find a space on your own. But what I would love you to do is not think about anybody else and just focus on the Lord and bring him your praise out of the gratitude of your heart. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your amazing love for us. We thank you for that time when David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Thank you for that picture we have of him dancing before you, worshipping you, making offerings. That's out of his love for you. And we pray, Lord, that we would be found as those who worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray for a new encounter with you, that each one of us may know you are fresh. And maybe tonight you just need to sit and allow the worship to wash over you, that's fine. Others may want to stand and raise your arms, and, but let's just be in the presence of God. And Holy Spirit, would you move amongst us? We thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. Because we are joining with heaven when we begin to sing out our praise. So fill this time, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand if you'd like to as we worship. Mm -hmm.